Hi, I'm John Grisham, and you're listening to the second season of Book Tour. In this episode, I'm in the horse country of Lexington, Kentucky, for an event with Joseph Beth Booksellers at the Kentucky Theater. My guests include the best-selling mystery writer Sue Grafton and Michael Link, events director for Joseph Beth. Thanks for listening. Let's start the show. Hello. My name is Michael Link, and uh, I have the incredible job of bringing authors to Joseph Beth Bookstores. Um, We're thrilled that so many of you chose to come out tonight, and we're even more thrilled to welcome tonight's speakers. Collectively, I think they've spent more time on the New York Times list than the editors of the New York Times list. (laughs) And so, joining me tonight is Kentucky's own uh, Sue Grafton. Yep. <laughs> What's up? I know. Sue has come over, come over from Louisville to um, help me uh, attempt to contain the charm offensive that is tonight's other guest. Uh, Sue's new book, Why is for Yesterday, um, brings us one step closer to the date, well, she's like, yes. For those of us who make a living selling her books, we're more like, can we add letters? Are we gonna start with one, double A, double B? But uh, please join me in welcoming our other speaker tonight, who I was just told, uh, we just found out uh, that his new book, The Rooster Bar, is number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Making a reprehensible 39th consecutive book to hit number one on the New York Times. Enough, leave something for somebody else. But ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Mr. John Grisham. Okay, just checking. All right. You got I it? want you to know that Hello. damp weather makes my nose run. It is not that pesky cocaine habit of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I just want that straight among Okay, so maybe um, I'm here as the governor for both of them. Um, well, well, thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you for coming to Kentucky, um, the state where you live. And John, <laughs> thank you for coming to Lexington. Thank you, Michael. Been delighted to be here. Uh, I've been here uh, once before to Joseph Beth about 20 years ago uh, when I was touring with a book I can't recall the name of. It was The Something. I don't, you know, I, I can't. <laughs> Like Sue, I have a problem with titles. <laughs> they're, not, they're not that original. And um, so I came here uh, to Joseph Beth 
then to sign books and um, have been back several times and delighted to be here now. What I'm doing with the Rooster Bar is um, uh, touring a few stops. Uh, this is number six, I think. And at each stop, um, <clears throat> sign a bunch of books, the books you have now, all pre-signed. Um, and the, the most enjoyable thing for me is to meet uh, writers from the area and uh, have this conversation. And we are recording all of it uh, to spruce up, edit, polish, and make a podcast out of that will be dropped uh, sometime in the near future. So if you don't get enough tonight, you can listen to it again. I'm not sure why anybody would want to do that, but you can, it'll be there forever. And Sue and I are going to talk about uh, writing and reading and book selling and, you know, this career. It's also fun to visit bookstores, and one thing I'm doing is trying to uh, help showcase our great independent bookstores. And you've had one here in Lexington for a long time. It's tough to make a buck selling books, and, and so we, as writers, treasure these bookstores, the, the people who are on the front lines uh, every day selling books because they love books and they love um, reading and they love all three events. So, Michael, thanks to you and the bookstore. Oh, thank you both so much. Uh, people ask me as a bookseller quite a bit, you might imagine, if, if this is what I do because I, I am a writer, and do I harbor dreams of one day writing myself and um, the answer to that is difficult uh, it's no um, and I would much uh, much happier profiting off the hard work of actual authors um, so for 17 years now I've made my living um, not through the horror, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears that you go through, just simply waiting for you to put out another bestseller, and then I can take um, some of the money from that. So thank you both very much. My, my daughter thanks you, my mortgage thanks you, and Joseph Beth thanks you. We're happy to give you some of the money, uh, yeah. but uh, keep most of it for ourselves, <laughs> if we're lucky. And congratulations, uh, I mentioned to, all, uh, to, to everyone out here uh, that um, your, your publicist, Todd, uh, told me backstage that uh, you just found out that you, the Rooster Bar is number one, um, making 39 consecutive books. So congratulations Thank you. on that. Thank you, it never gets old. <laughs> it's a hut. Always fun to see it, number one, for a while, and this is the busy time of the year because a third of all books are sold at Christmas time, the Christmas market, which begins today. And so publishers kind of pack in all the big books this time of the year. When do you publish? Certain time of the year? Uh, I certainly, my books come out every two years. I'm slow. I'm really slow. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't accuse you of being slow. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes me forever. And I always get stuck, I always get writer's block. So right now I have writer's block, but it's because I can't figure out what to do with Z is for zero. So any suggestions I'm- Well, <laughs> it's funny you would mention that because <laughs> today as we were signing a thousand books back there in the back uh, with the crew from Joseph Beth, we, we were talking about you. Uh, most of it was, was very complimentary. And so we- <laughs> We said, okay, what, 
what could we do with Z? I mean, do you get this all the time? People are trying to be cute and telling you where you are with, you know, with the next title? You get it all the time, don't yep. you? Yep. Do you resent this? I, I do. Well, I, <laughs> I don't care because <laughs> the first suggestion was Z. It has to be something, of course, dealing with crime, okay? That are supposed to. We'll talk about your last one, okay. which we don't approve of, by the way. We have, we have problems with Y. We will change Y. Uh, and we have, we have problems with X. Uh, because X was just X. It was no X is for something. Right. That's right. So which one do you want to start with, X, Y, or Z? <laughs> so for Z, one of the best, uh, I thought, was zip tie. You know, zip, you zip tie the handcuffs. Oh, gotcha. You don't like that one. Um, <laughs> someone said Zoloft, which... It's very timely. I think that's pretty cool. It's a timely um, book. Zero and... Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you don't like that one? <laughs> no, no. Uh, one really unusual one was... Um, Zapruder, the Zapruder film from the Kennedy assassination. If you could somehow tie Kinsey into the Kennedy investigation, no, you don't like that one. No. Um, well, that's all. That's all we got. And you, you never tell what it's gonna. You don't. You never tell ahead of time what it's gonna be, do you? Yeah. Right. Right. I just make it up as I go along. Uh, <laughs> you know there always asking me what I'm going to do when I get to the end of Zeosaur Zero, and I don't have a clue. Uh, for the last 40 years, I have known exactly what I'm going to do the next time I'm up at bat, and it's kind of nice to have an open door and some freedom to, you know, I don't know what I'll do. Well, do you consider the career to be over? I mean, are you... <laughs> well, the thing is, writing is all I know how to do. Uh, I applied to Sears and Roebuck one year, and they never called me back, so <laughs> I've, I've been forced to write. It wasn't last year, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm worried about being bored, among other things, you know. Uh, but you're never bored. Well, I, I can't imagine. No, I mean, in the near future, uh, I have several ideas for books that I could see writing uh, over the next few years. I mean, I can't really look more than two or three books down the road. I, I write from uh, January to July, it takes about six months. And so it's the time of the year now where I'm thinking about what's the next book gonna be. Mm -hmm. And I have two really strong ideas and I'm collecting research and things like that. Uh, to get ready for it, but I pull the trigger every year on, on January the 1st. Right. What, I mean, do you have a schedule like that? I do not. Uh, generally, I start a book uh, February, thereabouts, and it'll take me a, an entire calendar year uh, to get it out. I noticed in the olden days, Amy Tan used to publish every three years, and it was greeted like the second coming. I would publish a book a year, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, she's got another book out. It was no big deal, so I decided to slow down a little bit and create <laughs> a little air of mystery there. You know, I've thought about a book every other year for a long time, and I even, I've, my wife and I have been having these conversations for years, hey, let's take a year off, okay? Sounds like fun. Uh, 
what are you what am I going to do for a year off I mean what am I going to do she she's not going to leave and go off anywhere for a long period of time because she has horses and uh, I hate horse I'm sorry Alexa I love my wife, and my wife loves horses, okay? I, I don't spend any time with horses. Is your uh, podcast editable? Is it? <laughs> you better believe it, because uh, we'll clean that up in big okay, time. Okay, good, before. yeah. Clean it up in uh, post. But, I mean, she, we, we, we haven't found time to take any, any serious time off. We take all the time off we want. But, you know, I, this is all I do for a living. Like you, it's what you, what, it's what you do. And after doing it for so many years, as long as the ideas are fresh and the stories are fun, and I, I still uh, thoroughly enjoy piecing together an intri intricate plot, a mystery, a crime story, you know, that's, that's great fun. That's what we do that we really enjoy. And so maybe we'll never have to quit. All right, back to why. Um, <laughs> why is for yesterday? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Well, uh, you know, Y is a tricky letter if you think about it. And it, with X, for instance, there were many X words in X, but there wasn't one that captured the whole book. So I just thought, I made up the rule and I can break it if I feel like it. So that's what I did. Uh, and that was nice. People have complained a little bit about it, you know. Anything you do that's different gets some complaints. We had a lot of complaints today in the back room about Y. Um, <laughs> And a couple is, not, not a lot, but a few, because I was trying to egg everybody on into coming up with, uh, the best one we came up with is, why is for yellow tape? <laughs> like crime scene tape. Crime scene tape, yeah. <laughs> You're laughing at that. You, know, you, didn't oh. like the, you, no, never, was... you never thought of that one? Uh, oh. You're from Kentucky, why is for Yankee? <laughs> no? No, I don't okay. think so. Okay. Um, why don't you sell your stuff to Hollywood? Hollywood? Oh, I worked in Hollywood for 15 years. I just can't stand those people. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I am a very cranky person, and I noticed that many guys in Hollywood are 26 years old and they wear Cobra boots, and they're sitting there telling me how to do my job, which I got kind of resentful about. And I've worked out there 15 years with my husband for eight of it. And toward the end, I just got so I would say anything to anybody. I did not care. I was so mad all the time. And we'd go to these meetings and Steve would go, I can't believe you said that. I was like, I don't care, you know. And sure enough, I'd get fired once in a while, but I didn't care about that either. But I don't like people messing with my work. Can't stand it. Uh, especially if they think they're helping me. I call it taking their fine gold pencils to my work, and I don't appreciate that. So it's just better to keep my distance from them. I appreciate collaboration. I think it's a fabulous thing. I'm not able to do it. I work, <laughs> I work so, by So myself. I gather, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody reads what I do until it's done, except sometimes Steve. If I get scared, I'll, I'll ask him if I'm on track or off track. What led you to Hollywood to begin with? Uh, I had a novel published called The Lonely Madonna War, and that came out in 69, I believe, 67. And it sold to Hollywood. Uh, they made the film with Robert Ryan and Rod Steiger and 
you know, it was a really fun cast, way too many people, and it was quite violent. It was essentially the Hatfields and McCoys. And uh, I, I remember one day being on the set and they were stuffing wet Kleenex in the end of this gun to m mimic brain tissue. And I thought, what kind of sick person is doing that? And it was me. <laughs> so anyway, I did not do well in Hollywood. I worked in television for some number of years and it just did not suit my personality. So instead of condemning them, I've just stepped back and I don't want them messing with me. Well, as you know, there are very few writers who feel that way when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah, uh, yeah. Most of us do deal with Hollywood. Um, have you ever, has anyone ever attempted a screenplay based on one of Kinsey's adventures? No, you won't, you won't no, let him. No, you won't even, no, correct. Not even correct. the first one? No, no, no. Alibi was 1982, <laughs> right, the first one? What's that? A, 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 B, C. A, B. Your first book was 1982 in the Alphabet series? She's forgotten all of the books she's written. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> was that 1982 that that came out? Yeah, yeah. it was for Alibi. It was for Alibi. When I go to bookstores, uh, if I'm walking around incognito, I always go to the, to the fiction section to, and go down to the G's to all see right, how yeah. many of my books are there. And Grafton is right above Grisham. <laughs> and I always count the number of Grafton books and then count the number of Grisham books. And if there are more grafted books, I go after the manager and raise hell. They tell you, uh, so I'm always watching you, okay? Wherever you go, you. you're probably yeah. watching me too, right? Um, let's go back to X. Oh, man. <laughs> What's wrong with X-ray? X-factor? X-ray. X-ray. Well, that isn't a crime as far as I know. Well, it's better than yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Triple X? Yeah. When I first got the idea of doing the alphabet, I was reading an Edward Gorey cartoon book uh, called The Gashley Crumb Tinies. And it went A is for Amy, who fell down the stairs, B is for Basil, assaulted by bears, C is for Clara, who died of, what'd she do? Wasted away, D is for Desmond, who fell out of a sleigh. And I thought, why couldn't I do a series of novels based on the alphabet with crime words. And so I sat down as, and wrote down as many as I could think of, making sure I could stretch it. And most of those titles I've used, uh, A was always for alibi, B was for burglar, C was for corpse. Uh, I do this as a field sobriety test these days. <laughs> I see if I can get all the way to the end without flubbing. What was K? K? Yeah. Killer. What was R? Um, ricochet. Ricochet, okay. Quit helping. <laughs> so we, we did some more research today as we we're signing books, and you think you're going to be finished with Z. Yes. That's 26, right? We think you're cutting corners. <laughs> yeah. This is some serious research. We went back and checked the English language. All right. And in original, in Old English, there were 29. Oh, yeah. oh. One is A-E with a little hat over the top. Loud or something. Huh? And that's pronounced Ash. Okay. okay. Uh, one is called an Insular G. This is really impressive research. Right, right. Uh, it's pronounced G. 
Okay. Go. And then there's a TH sound hmm, that's pronounced thorn, believe it or not. This is straight from Google, so it's got to be correct. Okay. <laughs> So you're cutting corners. You actually have four more to write. Oh boy, thank you. So to help you, we thought about, <laughs> we thought about A, A is for, A-E is for Ash, right? So we thought that would be A-E is for autopsy. Okay. You like that? Okay. Yeah. I know you're not gonna write this book, we're trying to help you. <laughs> Guh. Guh. is for gore. All right. Blood and gore, we thought that was pretty. You're not impressed with our research today, are you? Th th th, thorn, th, thorn is for thug. We thought that was clever. Yeah, right. right. I mean, aren't you excited? You have, four, you have four more books to write, okay? Not what if you called your publisher tomorrow and said, hey, I want a three book contract for three more Kinsey novels? They would throw money at you, right? Well, you could write them. How about, you know, I wouldn't mind. No, then you would sue me for stealing your idea. Well. I get sued all the time, so I, I try to stay away from life. So, so much for our research. Huh? We, yeah, right. we, we spent all day on that. Right. I do come from a family of lawyers. Uh, my father did municipal bonds up in Louisville. He was known as the Dean of Kentucky Bond Law. I have a cousin who does personal injury and a cousin who does, you know, but my father said to me at one point, do not ever become a lawyer, you will be bored to tears. And so I think that's probably true, although I do envy you your law degree. I wish I had one. I don't want to be a lawyer, but I wish I had that information. It's fabulous. So. I, don't, I don't think I would have ever written anything uh, if I had not been a lawyer. Unlike you, it was not something I thought about as a you know, young kid, teenager, student. I never, never studied writing, never dreamed of being a writer. Um, I, I think I knew in college that I could uh, handle the language. I was not intimidated uh, by writing assignments and things like that. I always felt comfortable writing, but I, again, I never thought about pursuing it. And then um, because I was hanging around courtrooms all the time, trying to be a trial lawyer, uh, I saw something in a courtroom one day that I thought would make a wonderful courtroom drama and took that and became obsessed with the story. And after a couple of months, you know, of, of, of dealing, of, of thinking about the story, I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try to write this. And I was 30 years old and I'd never written before. And it took three years, um, three years to write it because I was also a busy lawyer and doing other things. And um, it, a Time to Kill was published and, Thank you. Uh, published in uh, 1989, and um, it was a total flop. I mean, <laughs> it didn't sell. Uh, the book didn't sell. It was a small publisher and never got off the ground. Yeah. Uh, how was A received? I don't think anybody even noticed it. I think the print run was 6,300 copies. And uh, I sold it on the basis of 65 pages to an editor who had never edited a mystery novel. And it just, it was one of those things. I have been with her since the beginning and I'm with my agent since B is for Burglar. So I have a long history with these people and they're very protective of me, which is lovely. Uh, 
A was, in some ways, my sassiest book. I had nothing to lose. I didn't care, you know. I had no reputation. I wasn't getting paid for it, so why not just do whatever suited me? And even to this day, I think it has some piss and vinegar in it that some of the other books do not have. So. I've always found Kenzie to be very pissy and vinegary. <laughs> she, she, she's full of it, right? So, 6,300 copies for the first one? Yeah. Has that gone up yeah. steadily? Well, it took me until F is for Fugitive and Paperback and G is for Gumshoe and Hardback to hit the list, which was really good for me because I couldn't get swell-headed about it, you know. I did not have an instant success. I had to labor for every, you know, goal that I achieved. And I think that helped me stay grounded. Uh, I don't... I'm not stuck on myself. I don't think I'm terrific. I don't walk around with my head swelling. So I think it's better for writers to take care of business and not get all sidetracked by fame and fortune. So I was lucky in that respect. What motivated you to start writing to begin with? Well, the, the very beginning, well, I wrote A.S. for Alibi because I was in the middle of a very bitter divorce and I had no money and I had no attorney, so I used to lie in bed at night and think of ways to kill the sucker. <laughs> and, <laughs> I came up with some pretty good schemes and I finally found one that I thought would work. However, I am a real law-abiding citizen. You know, I crossed between the crosswalks. I turned my library books in on time. And I knew I would get caught. The cops would come knock at my door. I would make a full confession. And then I was going to spend time in prison eating starchy food and wearing those terrible dresses that they make you wear and disgracing the very children I was fighting to keep. So I decided to put it in a book and get paid for it. And uh, is that cool or what? Yeah. <laughs> So welcome back to John Grisham's True Confessions podcast. Um, John, so you, you started to speak about, you know, the courtroom uh, drama and it, you, it, it started to gestate in your mind. Um, what about you? How, what was your, the beginning of your career like? You mean as a writer? Yeah. I started with that story. Uh, I finally was uh, obsessed with it enough to try to write the first chapter. And uh, I wrote a, a chapter on a legal pad in longhand and, um, you know, showed it to my wife. She liked it, so I kept going. And I got into the discipline. I, I didn't have any time to write. And, and, and I tell aspiring writers all the time, students, uh, that's, that's a terrible excuse if you don't have time because you can, you can always find 15 minutes or 30 minutes somewhere. For me, it was getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going to the office very early and writing for an hour or two. My wife, we were having babies and life was crazy and I didn't have, I couldn't do it at home. And so I had to, and I was gone three months out of the year to the state capitol, to the state legislature, because I'd been elected to the state legislature. So, I mean, life was crazy. Um, and I, you know, I, but I somehow found the discipline to make myself do that at five o'clock in the morning. And I learned another very valuable lesson. Several times with the time to kill, I would put it down and didn't really want to go back. And, I, you know, I didn't see any, it was a waste of time. And until I 
taught myself the most basic lesson that you have to write a page per day or nothing's going to happen, okay, until you make yourself do that. Sometimes that takes 15 minutes, sometimes it takes an hour, but until you're doing it every day, nothing is going to happen. And, you, and, you've, and you've got to, you've got to have, you've got to find that discipline. How did you find it? Well, I'm always struggling with that, you know. Like yesterday or day before I started, I opened Zeus for Zero, and within a day I thought, this whoa, is stupid. Whoa, whoa. It, yeah. It was, Zeus this, for Zero? Yeah, yeah. Did you just let it slip? Yeah. That was no, one of no, our, no, that was, I, I've been claiming that. That was one of our titles. We had it right here. We had, <laughs> it's right there, Zeus for Zero. That's not it? No, okay. no. We should have trademarked this. Yeah. At any rate, within a day, I knew it was a flat book, and so I had to dump it. Uh, that is the scariest day in my life when I dump a book. But I sit there, and the little voice says, this isn't working, this isn't working, and I fight it because I don't want to give up the work I've done. But eventually, I just pack it away and start somewhere else. So that's what I'm going to have to do with Z. You know, this is a magic time. I haven't failed at anything right now, you know. Uh, but I, ha I haven't hit that vein. That's what I'm looking to do, just hit that vein where I can tuck in and get down to the story itself. How often do you put one down? What's that? How often do you put one down or throw one away? Oh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a tricky one, you know. Um, it's going to take me a while and because, given that this is the last one, I got some clerical work to take care of, and I got to decide what I want in terms of those last images of Kinsey. Uh, people are upset, I think, that she's going to be out of their lives, and so I've been saying that we're going to, toward the end, I'm going to have medication for you. <laughs> I will tour the country. I've been claiming I would tour the country in a pink ambulance and we'll pull up at a bookstore, the back of the ambulance will open, my little bony arm will come out with an IV line in it, I will sign your books, my little arm will go back into the ambulance, and we will pull away. But I just don't want you to worry, we're gonna have a lot of ums, you know, we're gonna hold hands and we're gonna feel just fine, so. <laughs> So one, one question that we uh, hear a lot um, hosting events with authors, just about the kind of the process, is uh, sort of what comes first. The, you know, the characters for you, the story, the, uh, the tone, uh, the hook. Yeah. And um, so maybe starting with the rooster bar first, um, you are very quickly thrown into it, thrown into the lives of these characters. Um, and it's intense right from, right from get-go. So when you're, when you're writing a book like, like The Rooster Bar, uh, what, what starts it for you? I'm always looking for an issue that I can craft a legal thriller around the issue and first and foremost entertain, but also maybe uh, expose the issue or let the reader for the first time think about an issue. It's not necessarily, you know, preaching, but it's also, it's illumination. And the issue, the, the, the idea for the rooster bar 
Some of these ideas take a long time to develop. Most of them never work, they go away. But when you write what I write, I simply read newspapers and magazines and look at the stories. You know, what are we talking about today? We're talking about these issues that affect the criminal justice system or social injustice or, you know, things that kind of push my hot button. And I saw a, um, uh, an article in the Atlantic Monthly three years ago called The, the Law School Scam. And it caught my attention, and it was about uh, for-profit law schools, and, and especially how it relates to student debt. And it was a fine piece, an investigative piece, and I read that, and I, you know, I was fascinated by it. Did some more research, kept digging, 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 and the idea popped up real fast. Um, and that's, that's what happens sometimes. I wrote a book one time called The Innocent Man, which is a nonfiction story. I saw the guy's obituary in the New York Times and I read it and it was fascinating because he went to death row and was almost executed and he was completely innocent and later exonerated by DNA and always claimed his innocence. And I, I read that obituary and I said, I'm gonna write that story. So sometimes it hits you like that, other times it takes a longer time to develop the, the story. But my, I always start with, an, with a plot. I start with an idea, a plot, I add the characters later. Um, I spend a lot of work on the story before I start. Do you? Do you outline? I do not. I do not. I usually work about five or six moves ahead of myself. I need to know where I'm going because otherwise I feel too insecure. But I don't outline, it just sounds boring, you know. Check. It is boring, yeah. yeah uh, but the, as a consequence, I'm often stuck. I'm often buffaloed by where the story's going. And I just have to sit and suffer through that. Uh, usually I solve the problem and it's always a triumph when I can figure out how to get around myself. But um, it's, it is a, a constant struggle. I am scared all the time, all the time. And I see you're not afraid, I bet. I bet you just get in there and do the work. No, I'm never, no. Uh, I don't get stuck and I don't, I don't get scared because before I, before I start, I've done an extensive outline. And, and so I know <laughs> most write, very few writers will ever admit to using an outline. No. For some reason, they just can't do it. They're like you. They claim that they, um, <laughs> they let the characters take over and creatively, and they follow their characters off, you know, wherever they want to go. And, and with Kinsey, it's easy to do because you've known her for a long time. You're a different situation. But when I hear writers say, oh, I, I stare at the screen until my characters come to life, and then I follow them off with, that's a bunch of BS, okay? It just it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. I have to. I think when you write suspense and mystery, you, you, you know, plot points are so crucial. Uh, you better know where you're going when you start, and I and I always do. I, I know I know how the book's going to end before I start it. What I'm not sure people appreciate is how carefully structured a mystery novel is. Uh, I think people mm, launch themselves into writing a mystery novel with no clear sense of how carefully it has to be put together. Uh, I call mystery writers the neurosurgeons of literature. We are the magicians, you know, we uh, pull a rabbit out of a hat and we, we do our job right before your very eyes and my job is to fool you and make you feel okay about it. So uh, if I fail, if 
you guess who the killer is on page three, you're mad at me, right? If you get to the end of the book and you still can't figure it out, you're mad at me. So I got one chance in three of doing okay by you, but um, it, is, it is a challenge. And I, I, love, I love the rules and regulations. I love the form. Uh, it is the one form in which the reader and the writer are pitted against each other. You know, it is a contest between your mind and my mind, and I have to figure out what you're perceiving and then turn it on you, you know, so that you're, I'm leading you astray. And so it's very manipulative, darling. <laughs> but it's, it is great fun, and I, when it's working, I love it better than anything. When it's not working, I gotta blow my brains out, you know. Uh, were you influenced by someone? writer? Uh, well, my father wrote. He wrote and published three mystery novels uh, based on a British nursery rhyme. So he wrote, the rat began to gnaw the rope, the rope began to hang the butcher. Uh, he was writing about a, an attorney in Louisville, Kentucky in the 40s. Could not make any money at it. I saw one of his royalty statements once, like $280. And he had a law firm, he had a family to support, and he just could not do it with the writing and so he gave it up thinking that when he retired he would go back but he died in harness so that i learned a lesson from that you cannot put it off you know if, if you want to do a piece of work you do it uh, otherwise you don't know how how much time you have and then later in life later in your career who who influenced you influences yeah i think elmore leonard uh because he has the finest ear for low-life dialogue. Yeah. I just adore him. <laughs> uh, Agatha Christie, maybe, although she didn't cuss nearly enough to suit me. Um, I like to watch anybody who is an expert and doing their job right. Uh, I just get blown away by watching a good writer operate. Yeah. Uh, that's very inspirational to me. And what about you, John? Who do, who do you pull from? And who were some of the people that before you were uh, writing that you enjoyed reading, maybe? Well, you know, reading and enjoying writers is different from being influenced. Uh, when I was a kid, we, I read a lot as a kid because my mother really encouraged that. Um, I had some really good high school English teachers who, you know, made us read the good stuff, good, great, great authors. I remember enjoying that. Um, when I was in, when, when I started law school, I just almost stopped reading for pleasure because there was so much uh, other stuff to read. However, I had a buddy in law school who loved John D. McDonald and the Travis McGee series. Yep, yep, and yep. He, had, he had a couple of uh, used paperbacks and he loaned them to me and I read them and enjoyed them. So he and I, over a two year period, tried to find the, the used paperback stores or wherever the entire. 24 set series of Travis McGee, and we found all of them at one point. We read all of them over a two-year period, and that was that's the first time I'd read a series, right. and that was that's good stuff. And it's still fun to go back and read Absolutely. Travis McGee. Yeah. Do you remember the point at which your income from writing took over your income as an attorney? Do you remember when that finally happened? Yeah, it was before I started writing. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make any money as a lawyer. It, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a lawyer in a small town in Mississippi, and um, I'd grown up there, and I knew everybody in town, and then I got elected, so they all, 
voted for me because once you get elected, everybody voted for you and they all want something. And it didn't take me long to realize I just didn't have any stomach for the voters. And if you, when you're when you're a politician and you don't like the voters, something is you know it's time to. I couldn't stand those people. I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't go to, I couldn't go to church. I couldn't go to the grocery store. I couldn't go to a high school football game. They they followed me everywhere. They, uh, everybody wanted something. They wanted a job. They wanted a birth certificate. They wanted a passport. They wanted something. And we, we had no staff. It was just me, you know, representing my county and. Uh, I just, I was a terrible politician because I just soured on the people so fast. And they would, and they would, they would make an appointment to my, with my secretary to come in and talk about a legal problem, okay? Like they're going to hire me as a lawyer. And before you know it, it's, it's a, it's, you know, it's something for free. Uh, that's a legislative matter or whatever. And so I, you know, I just, I, I couldn't stand them. Um, <laughs> but, but, so I never, and also I had a hard time saying no to people who were in need, okay? If I said no to some, some wife with three kids who's being physically abused, you know, I, I hated divorces. I, I couldn't stand, I mean, I would never take your case because you're saying, you know, you, you, you're thinking about killing people. Um, I, I knew some people like that, okay? Uh, by the way, you, I mean, your marriage now is okay? Your husband, yeah, he's safe? Yeah. He's, he's number three. He's a keeper. He's okay? He, yeah, yeah. We shouldn't 30, worry about him, okay? I know. 39 years. It's okay. So Congratulations. Congratulations. So it, 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 was, it was not one big moment when I said, okay, I'm tired of being a lawyer. I'm going to be a writer. You can't do that. You have to have a real career doing something, building a career or a day job, and you write part-time, and you're, whenever you can work it in is a serious hobby. And then if you're lucky, maybe that takes over. So there was never any moment when I said, I'm fed up with this lawyer and stuff. I'm going to pursue another career. Until, until you know, we, we had some big contracts. So I'm just keeping notes. Um, so far, uh, we hate your first husband, Hollywood, horses, and voters. Did I miss anything? I just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, I'd like to retract what I said about horses. I don't, I don't hate horses. Uh, every weekend I go to the barn with my wife and we, you know, we take care of the horses and we hang out at the barn and I, I just don't ride them because they're dangerous. Uh, so he's taking notes over there. Okay? I know, exactly. All right, what's your, what, what, let's talk about your process, how you actually write, where do you do it, how do you do it, how many hours a day? Yeah, I keep a journal for every novel that I write, and it's, uh, I keep it on my computer. It is like a long, whiny letter to myself. And so every day I talk about where I am and how I see the problem laying out, what I see are the weaknesses of a story. If I'm scared, I put that in my journal because I think... Otherwise, you sabotage yourself for me when I'm hysterical. Uh, so the journal, for instance, for RS for Ricochet was 1,268 single-spaced pages. And the manuscript itself was maybe 600. But they're very repetition. They are the most boring documents you will ever come across because I repeat myself endlessly. And every 15 pages, I go, I have a great idea. It's the same idea over and over. But that's how I teach myself the story. And uh, I just go through it 
day by day by day. You know, what's really, uh, what intrigues me is I've never heard a writer before talk about being so frightened, oh. being scared. Oh. My, I mean, most writers won't admit that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel that way. Oh. I, fear is not something I ever, ever think about when I'm trying to get the novel finished. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of getting lost. Or, I'm not afraid of not being able to finish. But that's a real fear for you. You, you have those with every book. Yeah. But you're a guy. Guys are always brave. Well, I'm a big, tough, yeah. macho guy. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. But, you know, I do have friends who are writers, guys who, uh, and this is pretty common, uh, you have a great idea, a brilliant idea, something very compelling and dramatic, right. and what a dead body, smoking gun, child being stalked, or whatever, you know, something that gets your attention. And they jump into it, you know, with all this creative enthusiasm and write, 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 write for a year. And they've got 50,000 words. And then they slowly realize they're not sure where they're going. They're not sure how they're going to finish it. They're not, you know, and they just kind of panic. They, they, you know, they don't admit to being frightened. But, and they don't finish. They have to throw it away. Yeah. And I tell, these, I, I tell these guys, you're an idiot you're, for doing that, okay? You, 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 it's too much work, okay? Right. If you would outline, you would always know where you're going. <laughs> I'm not, you know, you've written too many books to change. I'm not going to convince you to outline, but, uh, but I, I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. Do you well. think it has something to do with the fact that you um, are in a series? So you can't say, like, let's say, you know, if you were working on, you know, Z is for zero. Right. And you're just like, it's, it's, it's not working. I'm going to get off of Kinsey. And I'm going to go do this something over here with, you know, Alaskan State Trooper or something. Um, is that, do you think that's part of it? Have you ever, uh, you said that you like the rules and you like the form and stuff. Have you ever felt constrained by the fact that you're, you've signed up for the series? Sure. <laughs> um, well, I had a therapist at one point. I'm a big believer in therapy. And uh, this guy was a Jungian. I had been accustomed to boohoo therapy, you know. <laughs> so boo-boo boo therapy? Boohoo therapy. Well, what was the other kind of therapy? Jungian. He was a Jungian psychologist. And he taught me the difference between ego and shadow. And what he taught me was that I had to be willing to fail which was really a tough lesson, and I have to learn it over and over again. You have to take risk, you have to operate right out on the edge of your ability, and you have to be willing to fall flat on your face. Otherwise, what are we doing here? You know, it's too easy, so. Um, but that made a big difference to me. I, that book was Jay's for Judgment, which I consider a shadow-written book. I just gave up all hope and let the book write itself, and that's one of my favorites. So you do have favorites? Yeah, absolutely. Ellis for Lawless is a favorite. It's just a cross-country romp. It was great fun. Uh, I like Jay's for Judgment. Uh, Always for Outlaw. Uh, you know, there's some of them in there that really satisfy me, and they really fulfill what I set out to do. Not always. So I started a series about seven or eight years ago for kids. It's, it's called know. Theodore Boone. It's a, thank you. It's, a, it's about a 13-year-old kid who's both of his only child, both parents are lawyers, 
and he thinks he's a lawyer because he knows so much about the law, and he's always getting in trouble because he gives legal advice to his friends, and yes, it's kind of funny. So I've written six of them, okay? I didn't write one uh, this fall, published one last year. And after six books, uh, I catch myself, and then I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you forget what your character has done? Do you forget places in town? Do you forget other characters? I mean, I can't keep up with what I've already written. I, I don't know all the characters. Surely after 25 oh, books. Yeah. Well, people write me these letters and say, why did Peter take the suitcase? I don't even know what they're talking about. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Why did this guy kill this other guy? I go, I go you know, it's a book I wrote 15 years ago. How do I know? So, uh, yeah, I'm, you wrote it 15 years ago, but they read it last week. Oh, I do. And, and they know more than you do about yeah. what you've written. I mean, that happens to me all the time. Except I'm getting letters from kids, you know, 12-year-old kids who are finding mistakes oh. in the Theodore Boone series, and you feel like a really, uh, you know, yeah. clown because you can't catch your own. But I, but I can't go back and read all six of those books. I just can't do that. Oh. You don't go back and read. I do. I go back and read them in sort of random order because I forget the little moments, you know, the little moments that I lay in. And those are such a joy to me. Uh, I'll remember the big moves, the plot moves and the character moves, but it is the little moments that I treasure and I, I forget them unless I go back and read the book. And sometimes I intimidate myself. I go, how did I do that one, you know? So it's, uh, I have to be kind of careful about that, scare I've, myself. I've never, I've read, um, I've read two of my books long after they were published. Uh, I mean, I, when I finish one, I'm pretty well done with it, okay? And it, when, when, you, when you go through all the rewrites and edits and all that stuff that's not any fun, and finally it's done, it goes to press, and three months later it comes out, like Rooster Bar, you know, just came out, and I finished that book five months ago, and I'm having trouble remembering what I put in the book, okay? Only five months ago. But I, yeah, I just never do that. I've read uh, a collection of short stories in a football novel called Bleachers, and I read, I read those books because I read the audio, yeah, right. which I'll never do again because it's far too much work. But occasionally I'll pick up, I'll pick up a book and at random just open it up and read a page mm -hmm. and try to remember what I was doing in life when I wrote that. Uh, and I'll always, I'll, you know, I'll read it and I'll say, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah, okay? Right. Or I'll say, Obviously, I was in a hurry, you know, I wish I could do I wish I could do it over yeah. uh, But I don't spend time worrying about them once they're done. They're done. I can't go yeah. back I'm a perfectionist if it isn't right I will not proceed because to me it's like Operating a battleship if you're one degree off and you stick on that course You're gonna be way over on the far side of the world. So it has to be absolutely correct before I will move forward. And that's why I get stuck so often, because I'm trying to figure out how to make a, a piece of story work. Well, if you would outline, you wouldn't get stuck. Okay. <laughs> you just keep going, okay? You, you never, uh, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Uh, can't do it, you're never gonna outline. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think I can. I could do several moves, you know, I could do uh, maybe several scenes in advance of myself, but I couldn't outline a whole book. It would be so boring, you know? It's boring. Yeah, yeah see? So again, you, you, the actual process, how do you write, where do you write, what do you do when you write? 
Where are you? On the new one? See? No, no, I mean, your average day when you're writing. Where are you? Where do you, where do you write? What am I writing? Where, where do you write? Oh, where? Uh, I have an office in California and an office in Kentucky. And the uh, same computer, same research materials that I travel, you know, take back and forth with me. What time do you start in the morning? About nine. How long do you go? I write till about mid afternoon. And then I get stupid. You know, you, I can just feel when yeah. it's done. And you might as well stop working right then. Because After four or five hours, you, if, if you're doing it, you know, Diligently, um, yeah. sometimes after three hours, I'm dead. Your yeah. brain is mush. You, you have yeah. to go do something physical. Exactly. Do, do you uh, do, do you break for lunch? Do you break yeah. for breakfast? Yeah, I break. Uh, I'm really kind of trivial in that. I, I'll do anything to interrupt my work. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's so boring. You're just sitting there and you, you think, okay, what can I do? I, one time I started smoking a pipe. <laughs> To have something to do with my hands, oh, you know, right, right. and the, the whole room's filled with, with pipe smoke, and my wife didn't like that. I mean, I'm in, I'm in a separate building. Uh, I'll get up and walk around. I'll, what, it just, it's so, you know, you get tired of doing it. I play that. computer solitaire. I really have a, quite an issue around freestyle and pyramid. I just, I probably ought to have some help with that. <laughs> I'll sit there for hours playing pyramid and... When you're supposed oh. to be writing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what's a good day? 500 words? 1,000 words? Uh, I used to count words, and now I don't. I think page count makes yeah. more difference yeah. than word count. Uh, and sometimes it's working, and you just sail through a big section. Other times it's just too much of a struggle. Do you ever, uh, do you ever like, cut corners, and you're thinking this is going pretty slow, or I'm not having a good day, so you use too much dialogue? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I do too, yeah. I mean, the, the, the dialogue is easier for me to write, and it really picks up the pace. And so I have this constant, daily, hourly battle about how much dialogue, and how much oh. narrative description, how right. much, yeah. Right. So yeah. you, 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 you I used to I used to color code, you know, for dialogue, description, action, and if you lay it out with uh, index cards, you can see exactly where the saggy parts are in a story, and that's kind of fun. I like to use index cards, which is what Kenzie Millen does as well. But uh, I love uh, Elmore Leonard's advice. Well, he has he published a book. His tips on writing, and one of his favorite tips was he says. I don't write the parts that people skip. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, Elmore Leonard says, never start with the weather. It's just too boring. The weather, yeah. yeah right. And don't, don't, don't use the prologue. So. Right, right. We're out of time. Thank you all for coming. Uh, thanks to Joseph Beth. Thanks to Sue Grafton. Thank you both so much. Thank you all. Thanks to my guests, Sue Grafton and Michael Link. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe and listen to other episodes of Book Tour with John Grisham. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. We'll see you down the road with Book Tour.